Okay, but so this, this Christmas season, um, I, I've been reminded of, if I could say for lack of a better way, and I, I don't really want to attribute this or, or attach this to God because I don't know if it's appropriate, but I'm reminded of, for lack of a better way of doing it, of this habit that God has of revealing himself through and even reveling and taking great joy in small things for his glory. I don't know, it's just been a thing that's been like a theme for me this year. Like every year, just different things, you know, that kind of get reinforced or really at the forefront of my mind during the season or during Easter. You know, read scripture, you reread every year and you're getting ready. And what the thing that has been is that the small things that God uses and he loves it and he uses them for great purposes. You know, last Sunday, if you were here in service, we heard from Pastor Dan about a huge gift like, you were talking about small things, but we heard about a huge gift. I mean, the biggest gift you could ever get or open or have. And it's that gift of eternal salvation that is opened by faith with our hearts. But here's the thing. On Christmas Eve, if you were here, you would have heard that we celebrated the fact that that gift of salvation, that huge gift, came in a tiny package. It really was. A little baby boy named Jesus who was born in a small town. And the Bible says in Micah, the least of the 12 tribes of Judah called Bethlehem. But the results of that tiny baby being born in that tiny little town in the middle of nowhere was huge. In fact, the results are seen right here. They're seen around the world where you have all these people who have been transformed by the love, the power, the, the saving faith that God gives to people. And you have Christians all across this globe who are testifying to the fact that God loves to use little things for huge purposes. Um, Emmanuel, which means God with us, took on humanity to save people from their sins. And the shepherds that met him, and they couldn't help it, but they had to tell everybody about what they saw and they heard from the angels, but then also in person, they met this baby King Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of people's sins. And that message is still going out today. Right now, I'm, I'm telling you that message. That say It's still going. It's advancing. It's being proclaimed. It's being told. That, and the message is this, is that Jesus is the only Savior of men's souls. Amen. Jesus Christ. You know, we tend to look at the appearance of people and things and determine how influential or how impactful they will be based on wisdom or how smart they are, how much strength they have, how much power they have politically or otherwise. And I got to thinking about a question that's kind of our, our, our scripture, our text this morning um, that God asks his, uh, through the prophet Zechariah in chapter 4 and verse 10 for us to think about as well. And he asks a question after the foundation was laid for the second temple. Now, just a quick background. So David had these grand ideas to build a temple and get everything ready. But his son Solomon in the Old Testament built the temple that the Israel had. And it was huge. I mean, like New Hope Chapel, this building is like, you know, when you look at it on its appearance, it's basic, it's plain, it's simple, but it's a great place to worship God, amen? Because we're, we're together, and that's what it's about. It's not about all the ornate stuff. That's all cool too, whatever, but it's not about that. But Solomon's temple was spectacular. I mean, even historically by architectural accounts, it was an amazing building that was just incredible, beautiful, right? 
So when they were in captivity and because of their disobedience to God, the rebellion, they did things their own way and tried to figure out life by themselves as a nation. They were persecuted. They were taken captive. And the land, where their homes and their homeland was devastated. It was destroyed. There was nothing left there. And then when they're released, they're given permission to go to the land. They start to build their temple because their worship was central to, to their life as a nation, spiritually and otherwise, culturally. They lay the foundation. Zerubbabel is, Zerubbabel is part of this process. It's a great name, isn't it? He lays the foundation. And then here in Zechariah, they start to see what's going on. It starts getting built up. And in verse 10 of chapter 4, the Bible says this. Who has despised the day of small things? Another translation says, who dare question the little things? The day of little things that go on. And then it says here in verse, later on in, in the second part of that verse, but these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. It's a construction tool to check the plane and make sure it's level and everything is straight, right? The plumb, it's still a great tool, right? We have technology that helps us do things faster and better now, right? But, and it, but it says, these are the eyes of the Lord which, Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth. In other words, God sees it all. He has a plan. He's not going to neglect it. This is part of his process. And why are you despising? Because some people were doing this. They were whining and they were complaining. What they did is, some of the, some of the older folks had heard about, and, and, they, and they understood how um, majestic that first temple was. And they saw the foundation and they went, but the, the foundation's only 30% of the first one. How could we, this is so small, it's pitiful. I, I, don't, I, I can't believe we're actually even doing this. It doesn't compare to how big the other one was. And some said, well, and even the design, it's not as good as the first one. Whatever the, the arguments were, they, for some reason, and most of it was by appearance and size and design, they were not satisfied because they were comparing, they were looking at how big and spectacular, and yet, later on in Zechariah, God says, and it also in Haggai, that the, the, the latter glory, the glory that would be seen and experienced in this temple would be greater than the first one. Now, if that's not amazing, then it just points again to the fact that God loves to use little things to glorify himself and, and to bring people to himself as well through those things. They were, they were frustrated about that. But let me just tell you something. Little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. God loves to take small things and do something big with and through them. It's the result of Emmanuel working in history to fulfill his plan of reconciling people back to himself. The very word Emmanuel literally means or refers to the presence of God. That he's there, he dwells. John 1, we read about that, that he dwelt among us. I mean, we sang about that. He dwelled among us. He was here physically, right there, and we're and, and presence. He's there. It's what it means, Emmanuel, God with us. You know, every night we pray, and um, Preston, he's sitting there in the tone, and they'll tell you, they'll confirm. We pray every single night. At one point, I pray, God, thank you that even though we can't see you, you're real and you're with us. Because God's not visible. He, but it's by faith, and we know he's real, and we feel and we sense and we see what he does all around us and in our own lives. We hear the testimonies in creation, our own conscience, different things. There's all these evidences that there is a God and that the name of that God is Jesus. God is this idea of being present with humans is not some novel idea that came with Jesus. Oh, yeah, wow, Jesus is going to come. His name is Emmanuel, and now God's going to be with people. Let's just backtrack. To the beginning of human history, God 
was with Adam in the cool of the day in the garden. He was there. Not something new to God. Not something new to humanity that God desired to have with humanity, that presence, that relationship to to be with him. God was with Adam. God was with Noah while he was in the ark. I mean, couldn't have been anybody else except him and a few others because the earth was flooded. God was with Abraham where he chose this one man and through him a whole nation of Israel comes forth and there's a whole process there and then he even gets a son and and things start multiplying and God was with Jacob even when his brother hated him because of the birthright issue and wanted to kill him but God delivered him. God was with Joseph. Can I just keep going? I mean, I could. I could keep going. God was with Joseph, right? When, when When he was sold into slavery in Potiphar's house but then when he was put in prison falsely, well, unjustly, I I could put it that way. When he's in Pharaoh's palace again, ruling, and there was one reason that God was with him and directed him and guided him and put him where he was, and it was for the salvation of many starving people, including his own family. The purpose was redemption and the glory of God. Salvation, redemption. These starving people were saved. God was with Moses when he was a baby, and his mother put him in a basket. Think about this. It blows my mind, this historical account, that there's this slaughter of the babies are going on, and the faith, the courage to take and weave this basket and put this pitch around it and stick a newborn baby in it and just launch it into the Nile River with its currents and really believe and trust that baby Moses would be okay. God was with him. That little baby in that little basket in that huge river, God was with him. God was with him when he's growing up in, in, in Pharaoh's palace. God was with them and he lived as a fugitive in the Midian desert. And then he has an encounter with God and he gets God's call to be the, the one who delivers, the deliverer of his people. God was with them and he goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. You know, you've seen those old movies, right? Let my people go. God was with little Moses who couldn't speak and he had other issues and excuses for not doing what God wanted him to to do. God was with them when he stood at the Red Sea. Mountains on both sides. Army of Egypt behind him. God was with them and all he has is a staff in his hand. And he raises it up out of obedience and God parted the sea. Not Moses. God parted the sea because God was with him. God was with them. Can I, should I just keep going? I'm not going to keep going, but, but I could keep going, right? God was with Samson when he defeats a thousand Philistines and he has just a jawbone of a donkey. That's all he's got. You know, I love these old movies with these, like the gladiator type things, or like way back in history, and you know, and there, there are these, these war scenes and stuff going on and whatever, right? Battles. But this is one guy that God is with to help rescue and save and spare Israel. And, he, and he, he's got a bone and muscle. He's got a bone and muscle. And he takes care of these guys to save and spare Israel. God, used, God was with him. He couldn't do that by himself. And God was with. Samuel, and God was with David in the Bible, and God was with Solomon, and God was with Elijah, and God was with Elisha, and God was with the prophets, and God was with, and it goes on and on and on, and God was with people, humanity, his creation. In fact, God had given the nation of Israel the Ark of the Covenant to remind them of his presence with them as a whole. I'm right here, yes, at the center in the middle of the camp. When they camped out and they had a tabernacle, it was portable. It was, they always camped around it. It was in the middle. That it was to be central. That I'm with you. I'm in the middle of you. I'm, I'm present. I'm here. I'm your God. It reminded them that he was their God and he was with them. God 
is with people. God is with his chosen people. God is with those he loves. And, and, all, and, and God's presence is also detected, as I mentioned, in his divine handiwork, in creation and all that he does. There's, when you look around, it's so hard to not, to just dismiss the idea of intelligent design. So hard to do that. I, I'm really so, it, 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 it baffles me. It's hard to just say, that's no way. It just happened. Intelligent design. There is a creator God and God who created all of this. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, his handiwork, it says in Psalms. However, remember the crowning fact and this most amazing thing that happened of God's presence with humanity was heralded by Isaiah's prophetic word. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 700 years before Jesus is born, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I'm just going through the history here, how God is present and wants to be present and that he's a God who's active in history and in his creation. God loves to use little things and he makes himself present with all things too, especially those that he loves and he calls. He's there. He's present. You know, God loves to use small numbers. You guys like small numbers? I mean, when you look in your checkbook and it says zero, do you like that? <laughs> How many of you like it when there are like six digits in your check? Oh, well, wait a minute, wait, wait. Wait, I can't even count to six. Wait, I try to get past three or four, right? But we love it. We, numbers, we're all, we love numbers, right? The, the more money we have, we feel like we're more secure, more confident. Even as a church, we feel like as long as we have money in the coffers, we're secure, we're safe, we're not going to worry. And then all of a sudden, our wisdom leans from God providing to us having enough padding. And we do that on our own. We should be wise. The Bible teaches us that too. Or, or we get enamored by numbers. Well, that church has 20,000 people or whatever it is. It's not about that. God loves the little things, the little numbers. He loves small numbers. Now, there's, there are, the Bible is replete. It is filled with examples of God loving small numbers and doing something huge through them. All right, let's start from the beginning again, just real quick. The Bible tells us in Genesis, seven days, seven days, everything we see was created. It's a small number with... He loves to use small numbers. I'll fast forward. There's a lot of examples. In Judges chapter 7, the Bible records, there's a man named Gideon. Anybody hear the name Gideon? Anyone know? Everybody know the story about Gideon? If you don't, I'll give you real quick in a nutshell. The nation of Israel is having trouble, right? And they got these armies, the Midianites are coming, and, and it's... They're to blame because of their relationship with God was not good, but they're to blame. The Midianites are there, and God raises up Gideon. Gideon's a guy who's hiding during this turmoil in a wine press. He's hiding out, and that's where he realizes, and God wants, wants to use him. Afraid, timid, little, little Gideon, and God's using him. Jump ahead. God raises him up, and the Bible tells us in chapter 7, they're about to, to go to battle, but, but God, God is kind of sifting out, and he's choosing his army that Gideon's going to have. Starts off in chapter 7. He's got 32,000 soldiers with him. Okay? 32,000. All right? Now, just for, just for reference, in verse 12 in chapter 7 of Judges, the Bible says that the Midianites and those that they had aligned themselves with, that they were like the locusts that filled the valley. 
Now, has anybody ever seen a National Geographic or any other documentary or whatever, when you see a plague of locusts and how everything gets darkened and you, it's, it's dark and you can't, like, you, don't even wanna, you can't even walk through it because you either get skeeved out or knocked down or something. It's just so many locusts. They, hundreds of, upon the millions actually, they say, in a plague of locusts when these swarms converge. Hundreds of millions altogether. Could be, could, they could be up to a billion locusts. Now, when you have that many, and when the Bible uses that kind of language, and it says that they were as locusts that filled the valley, 32,000 to a whole plague of locusts is nothing. We don't know the number. The point is, Gideon has 32,000 guys, and he's up against... But it doesn't end there. Because God, the reason that he loves small numbers and small things is because he wants to get the glory. All right? He doesn't want us to take the glory or someone else to take the glory or because we've amassed this or we've mustered up this, whatever. He, that's not what he, he's about. He goes to Gideon and says, listen, I want you to go with these guys and, and just tell them. If anyone is afraid about going into battle, you're freaking out, tell them to go home. Do you know how many went home? 22,000. That's what the Bible says. So what's he left with? 10,000. They know how to do math and they're listening. 10,000. 10,000 soldiers are left with Gideon to take on this. But God's in charge of this. He has a plan, a divine plan. I can't understand it all. I don't know why this history, but but God has a plan, right? And he's doing this. And to save his people, 10,000 left, but it doesn't end there. Then God goes to Gideon and says, listen, we got to whittle this down a little bit. This is too much. Gideon's probably like, are you kidding me? I can't, I can't even imagine. So he goes, go to the river, go have all the guys, have your 10,000 guys line up on the banks of the river and go and have them get a drink. He says, there's going to be guys. They're going to go down. They're going to put their face right in the water and just drink like this, right from the water, right? Then there's going to be guys that are going to go down. They're going to kneel down. They're going to take their hands and they're going to, they're going to make a cup with their hands and they're going to lap the water out of, their, out of their hands. He says, those guys you keep. You know how many guys did that? 300. I, I mean, I, 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 listen, this is, you can't, this is crazy stuff. And I'm not just saying it to be, I'm being serious. For, you went from 32 to 10 to 300 against a valley full of locusts called the Midianites. That's the number. And, and God loves to use, and you know what? They never shed any blood. They went through, they, they, they had the torches on, their lanterns. They, they, they had horns, they did all kinds of, and God gave them the victory. And he, and he did it for his purpose to save Israel. Because he had a big plan for all people in the end. To, to reconcile people back to himself. He did something amazing with a small number. 32,000 to 300. God loves small numbers. If you feel like, you know what, well... I only, I only got this small thing, amount of money, or I got this small amount. I, I, can't, I can't do that. I can't help this person. I can't I, make, God will help you. God, God will do it. The thing about God is, is that, you know, we, we, he doesn't like addition. He loves multiplication. He loves to multiply. Now, I don't, don't ask me how. I'm not telling you it's a formula, but he does love to multiply because he just does. And we'll see an example of that in just a moment. Little as much when God is in it. Secondly, God loves to use small people. I mean, you think about this. When you look at the characters in the Bible, when you look at characters in human history, a lot of them were seemingly insignificant or they came from no-name places or they were just unknown or they started off as being whatever. And 
small things have a big impact, and God loves to use small people, and small people have big impacts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, the context is a little different. It has to do with their salvation. It has to do with um, who they are and things going on in the church. But he said, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called, meaning when you were saved. Man, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. That's me. I don't care. I'm not going to pretend any of those things. I'm not going to try to be any of those things or put on to you that I am wise or noble or I'm influential or I have to have all the pool or whatever. I'm not doing that. It's not who I am. Do I fight with that? Does my nature? Yeah, we, we battle that, right? But I'm not, that's not who I am. But God, he says, chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not, meaning the things that are seen like they're, it's meaningless inconsequential, insignificant. And he says, and, and he took those things to nullify the things that are, those things that are viewed as, well, that's great. That's what's powerful. That's what's influential. He says in verse 29, why did he do this? So that no one may boast before him. And that chapter actually ends, if anyone boasts, let him boast in the Lord and what the Lord has done. God loves to use small people. God used ordinary Corinthians. God used ordinary fishermen named Peter. And he calls them, and he becomes an apostle. And many others. They were just small people, and even viewed as uneducated by those who were teachers of the law. And God still used them. They were small people, so to speak. And God did huge things through them. One more example. How about David? Just, I'm just going to say David and Goliath. Okay, everyone knows already. Giant versus a little kid. God was with him so little as much when God is in it. The giant Philistine, who's got the modern weaponry of, of the metal, and they, they did metalworking, and he's got this sharp, beautiful, heavy, bronze spear, and a shield, and a, an armor bearer, and everything else. And this guy who's all proud and arrogant, and is the wisdom of man, and the strength of man, and the influence of man, and they're, they're, they're running all over the place, and taking over, and, and ruling that whole area of the Philistines, and taking, they're powerful, and they're wise, and they're, they're, they're using technology in this way for, for weapon making, and, and metalworking. And then there's David, this little kid, small person. And all he's got is a piece of leather, and he just picks up a stone from the ground. It's because little is much when God is in it. God loves to also use small gifts, small things that we have to offer him. They seem so little and tiny. In John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching, and there's a crowd of people on the hillside. And they're getting hungry, and Jesus says to his disciples, Hey guys, man, these guys are all tired. They've been here for a long time. There's 5,000 guys, plus I don't know how many women and kids, but they're all here, and they need to eat. Go get us something to eat. And they're like, yeah, like where? Like, I'm not going to go to, like, there's no stop and shop here or anything like that. Where are we going to get food from? And then all of a sudden, there's an approach. One of the disciples comes to Jesus and says, There's a little lad, a little boy here, and he's got, he's got a little gift. He's got something to offer. He could take it for himself, but he's giving it. He's got five loaves of bread, and he's got 5,000 fish. I'm just making sure you're listening. You can correct me. He's got five loaves of bread, and he's got two fish for thousands of people. Like, it would seem like that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? But God, Jesus takes that, and he blesses it. He starts to, to distribute. And in the end, they have 12 basketfuls left over, and they start to give, and everyone's full and satisfied because God loves to use little gifts and small gifts. Nothing's too small when you give it to God. God will use it for his glory. He'll do whatever he's got to do to meet whatever need or to glorify himself because little is much 
when God is in it. Do you remember the small gift the woman gave? Jesus talked about. She just had two little coins to rub together worth a penny. And she came and she gave it all. See, it's the heart. It's the desire. It's the idea, the understanding that little is so much when God is in it. And how do you know if that last penny wasn't what satisfied the balance and, and met the balance of something that needed to be done? I, that could be your case too. God loves to use small gifts, little as much, when God is in it. And finally, God loves to use small moments. God loves to use small moments. Now, before I get and just give you a scriptural example, I'm going to stand right here. Okay, so I'm standing here, and my wife is standing there. I should have Sharon come up, but we won't replay that again. Can never have that. We can never do that. And we're standing here, small moments, and I look at her, and she looks at me, and I say, I do. Now, small moment. But that small moment, now, it's, it's not insignificant. Not that, 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 it's not that it's insignificant. It's not that it's not important. It's magnanimous, really, if you think about it. It's not the point. The point is that it's two words that I said in less than two seconds. But the results are huge. It's a lifetime promise of commitment before God and witnesses. Two seconds, two words. God uses little moments. He did the same thing in this relationship he had with God's people. And many times this happened. They renewed the covenant. And they were brought before God and different leaders. From Moses to Joshua, they come before. And then they say everything. And God, and God asked them, this is what the laws, this is what the conditions of the covenant are. Are you going to do this? And they said, everything the Lord has said to do, we will do. It took them three or four seconds to repeat as a nation. They renewed their covenant. It was a small moment. But it had huge effect and consequences. Little moments. How about that little moment one day that had huge effect where you finally came to terms in your heart of hearts you knew. And it wasn't something that a guy could do, a woman could do, a man could do, any wise philosopher with persuasive words could do, or any kind of smart intellect. But it was only because the Holy Spirit, God, came to you and you knew in your heart of hearts, I need a Savior in Jesus, you're the one. And I fall before you and I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And it took, and how long does that take? It doesn't last. It's like this. And it happens. And it's a small moment with a huge import and huge effect and influence in your life that determines your eternal destiny. Small moment. In time. Not in significance. In time. It's so important. And God did that throughout history with many people in the the Word of God. There There was a moment that where Joseph had his little moments. Now, he's freaking out because Mary's pregnant right before Jesus is born. And, and he would never forget in that moment when the angel came and spoke to him and said, this is God's son, name him Jesus, he's going to save his people from their sins. You're never going to forget in whatever that lasted, a minute, 30 seconds, whatever that was, you will never forget that again. Your life is forever changed. Little as much when God is in it. Little as much when God is in it. That little moment when you can go to your neighbor, when you can go to your neighbor and just say, hey, listen, um, I'm going to tell you about my Savior, Jesus Christ. Not, maybe not in those terms, whatever way it comes out, but that you share Jesus with them. That, that little moment when you go, when, I, when, when, when you go and, and, and a lot of us had our stories, and I know Sharon has had her stories, where you go and you, you've been just a jerk to your parents, and you go and you, when you're a teenager or a young adult, and you go and you finally come to terms, and, you, and it's a little moment. I mean, it's huge, but it's little. It just takes a couple minutes. You're like, you know, I'm so sorry for just being a jerk and just 
punky and everything else and rebellious against you, it's a little moment that has huge effects. Reconciliation comes. Healing comes. Peace comes. It's powerful. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. God chose to come to us as a person and live in our world rather than trying to have us go to him. Because it didn't work and it doesn't work. I'm going to close in a minute, but this is the amazing truth about the Christian story of Jesus' conception and birth. God is literally with us in the person of Jesus. This is where Christianity diverges from all other world religions. Most religions believe in a God that is a supreme being of the universe. Most people would agree with that. There is this divine entity, a supreme being. Most people. But the miracle of Jesus' birth and what is central to the Christian faith is that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Even now, he's God with us. That he actually came. Jesus doesn't take us out of the turmoil and the pain of daily life, but rather he walks with us as we live our everyday life. It's a mistake to think of salvation as an escape from the world instead of engagement with the world. We're in the world, but we're not part of it. But we are to engage them with Emmanuel. God has a job for us to do right here, right where we live and work, our homes, everywhere we are. And it is in these circumstances that we are best able to see that God is with us. You know, when the pressure's on, when you're squirming, you're nervous, when your faith is tested, when, when you're doubting, whatever. And that's, that is where he gives us power and he is truly God with us. Emmanuel means the breaking in of the divine into human history. Emmanuel refers to the intervention of, uh, intervention of the supernatural into the natural. It means the entrance of the heavenly into the earthly. Emmanuel means that God is with us in, in Jesus. God is going through the darkness with us. God is going through the water with us. God is going through the flood with us. God is going through the fire with us. God is going through the wilderness with us. God is going through every temptation with us. God is going through the pain with us. God is going through the sickness with us. God is going through the troubles with us. God is saying, you must not carry the trouble alone any longer. Put it down at my feet. Cast it down. I'll take it and I'll carry it. In fact, I'll pick you up and I'll carry you if I have to, but I'm never going to leave you because I'm Jehovah, Emmanuel, the God with you. The word Emmanuel means that when all your best efforts fail, they break down and they collapse in disgrace, God begins. That's right. That's where it all starts with God. Emmanuel means that when you feel nobody wants you, God does. Emmanuel means that when you're crying and saying, nobody understands me. Everyone is standing on the outside and they can't see what's going on inside of my heart, my emotions, my brain, my mind. They can't see it. I'm torn up. Emmanuel means that if you're a child of God, that God is on the inside and he knows exactly what you feel and he feels it too. Emmanuel means that God is with you and in you. If the prison doors of any kind of a habit are closing in around you and trapping you, God is still with you. If you've tasted failure, shame, and you're all into self-despising, God is still with you. Because he's Emmanuel. His name is Emmanuel. God is with us. And, and when God is with us, and when, 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 when there's just a little bit of us, and there's God, it's much. 
It's everything, in fact. God doesn't want us to be alone. He doesn't want us to be separated from Him or from healthy relationship with others. He wants us to be close with Him like family. And that's why God came, to be with us, so that we could experience His presence and be a part of His family as He walks with us and He talks with us. So the bookends of of, of Jesus' life is very simple. When He came to this earth, He was born as Emmanuel, God with us. And then when he's leaving this earth, in Matthew chapter 28, um, the apostle Matthew writes, in in the last chapter of his gospel, he writes that when Jesus was going to heaven, he says, this is the job I'm giving you. Go and tell everybody about me. I'm paraphrasing. Teach them to be disciples. He says, listen, I'm with you till the end. What he's saying is that go do it, and I'm still God Emmanuel. I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. I can't leave you. It's against who I am. If you're my child, I can't leave you. I will always be with you. Be faithful, do it, and be reminded that I am with you, so keep doing what I've asked you to do. I am with you. I'm God Emmanuel. Will we go and do that? Will we be the the ones who respond and do what Jesus wants us to do? One day, we're going to go to heaven. We're not there yet. Just look around. You know it's true. We're going to be in God's presence. Like, actually His presence. We're going to see Him. And I, I have no way of understanding how it's going to be. We're going to be there face to face with Him. But until then, we still have Emmanuel. We have God with us. And as we finish this year out, and as we go into the new one, I want to encourage you just to challenge yourself, to, to reflect and to think about all the little things in your life that either you need to change, and God will help you do that, or that you just need to kind of reclaim so that God can use for his glory. Because, after all, little is much when it's all about us. I'm just making sure, I know we're done, but you're not sleeping. Little is much when it's everything your spouse wants. Little is much when your checkbook has... All kinds of dollar signs in it and, and figures in it. There you go. See? Little is much. She can't wait to get there. She's like, just forget it and get right to it, man. Because little is much, little is much when God is in it. And that's what it comes down to. And so as we finish this year and we go into next year, don't ever forget that. God loves to use the little things. Be faithful. He came and he wants to use you to uh, bring others to him. Even little you. And if you think you're big, get little. (laughs) Amen. Amen.